Chapter Twelve of Monte Cristo's Daughter by Edmund Flagg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: Father and Daughter. The Count of Monte Cristo was in his study, pacing to and fro. He was plunged in thought, and an expression indicative of deep concern was upon his pale but resolute countenance ever and anon he would pause in front of a small table on which was a telegraphic outfit for the sending and receiving of messages listening with close attention to the sounds given forth for although sound reading was not much practised by the telegraphers of that period monte cristo who seemed to have all the accomplishments of his own age and those of ages to come was a proficient at it as well as a remarkably rapid and correct operator it was nearly midnight the entire family in the mansion of the rue de helder had retired to rest with the exception of its head who had remained up in response to a summons from berlin to be ready to receive the details of a secret meeting of a vast society of prussian patriots which would be sent to him in cipher by one of his most enthusiastic and active agents for the promotion of the cause of universal human liberty the intense heat that had prevailed all day had been but slightly moderated by the advent of a close sultry night there was not the faintest breeze in the heavy oppressive air and the blue sky full of stars and flooded with brilliant moonlight was without a cloud the silvery brightness poured in through the open windows of the study so illuminating the apartment that the count had extinguished his lamp fantastic shadows were projected on the floor by the bookcases and various articles of furniture looking like gigantic and dwarfed shapes of demons and elfs and lending the scene a weird supernatural aspect monte cristo walked amid these distorted shadows like some master magician communing with the dark mysterious spirits that received his commands in silence and then vanished to execute them without question or debate the count's thoughts were of a sombre nature he was pondering over the problem of french freedom wondering how long the volatile changeful nation with which he had cast his lot would retain the liberty acquired by the revolution that had overturned louis philippe's throne and given the people power he distrusted the events of the near future already the bonapartists were active and louis napoleon was looming up as a formidable figure the nephew of the great conqueror of europe professed republican sentiments but monte cristo doubted his sincerity as well as his ability to govern the restless population of paris he foresaw imitation of the famous emperor his prophetic eye pierced through louis napoleon's presidential aspirations and saw beyond them a second empire not less brilliant but not more substantial than the first the policy of the bonapartes was to dazzle the masses the men of the barricades by a show of grandeur and amuse rather than force them into submission the count had held aloof from louis napoleon had even opposed him to the full extent of his mighty influence he had done so not from any personal considerations but for the good of the entire french people for the preservation intact of the fabric of freedom the fruit of the revolution of eighteen forty eight 
meanwhile as these thoughts coursed through monte cristo's active brain the telegraphic instrument went ticking steadily on but the information he expected was not conveyed news flashed to him from every centre of political agitation save berlin there an obstinate ominous silence prevailed several times he sought to open communication with his confederate in the prussian capital but his signals were unanswered at last he paused wearily in his walk throwing himself in a huge armchair fatigue weighed upon his eyelids and he speedily sank into an uneasy broken sleep from which he started at intervals disturbed by some vague disquieting dream ever and anon as he dozed that smile that made him so handsome would steal over his manly countenance bringing out into bold relief all his wonderful nobility and benevolence of expression as midnight struck in every clock-tower in paris the usual solitude of the rue du helder at that dead hour was broken by the appearance of a sinister figure at the little gate of monte cristo's garden this figure was almost instantly followed by another hardly less forbidding both wore masks and moved as stealthily as cats the second figure addressed the first speaking in a cautious whisper bouche de miel is that you yes i becker have you the key muttered the other scarcely above his breath here it is old man now to work the others will be on hand in a moment open the gate and let us get in bouche de miel took the key which was covered with oil to prevent grating and inserted it in the lock it fitted to a charm and turned noiselessly bouche de miel gave the gate a gentle push it yielded swinging open without a sound the two men passed inside partially closing it after them the moonlight fell upon the seat that zuleika and mademoiselle d'armilly had occupied beneath the honeysuckle covered arbour that morning bouche de miel gave a sudden start as he glanced at it half repenting of having yielded to waldman's command under the impulse of his hatred for monte cristo and his desire for revenge he trembled violently in spite of all his efforts to maintain composure and his face became one mass of sweat beneath his protecting mask siebecker noticed his agitation and gave vent to a smothered curse sacre nom d'un chien he muttered between his teeth if you go on like that old man it would have been better had waldmann let you off you can't do this job with an unsteady hand brace up brace up bouche de miel what's that there was a slight noise at the gate grasping his tremulous companion by the arm siebecker hurriedly drew him behind a clump of small chestnut trees no sooner were they hidden than three masked men cautiously opened the gate and came on tiptoe into the garden waldman peppino and beppo had arrived and were ready to do their share of the nefarious work siebecker and bouche de miel silently emerged from their hiding-place and joined them waldman glanced about him evidently satisfied so far so good said he in an undertone we are all here on time do not let us waste an instant have you steadied your nerves with plenty of brandy bouche de miel i'm all right replied the latter doggedly though there was a perceptible quiver in his voice as he spoke he has just had another fit of fear said siebecker disdainfully i think we would do well to leave him with peppino and beppo to keep watch in the garden it won't be safe to take him with us into the house waldman 
the leader went up to bouche de miel and gave him a rough shake you are a coward said he savagely that woman's story you told us was all bosh you are afraid of meeting monte cristo as i saw very plainly this morning this taunt stung bouche de miel to the quick and restored to him all his courage he faced waldman unflinchingly and retorted i am no coward and i am not afraid of monte cristo then what is the matter with you that is my business but it shan't damage this night's work i will go with you to the house and do my part as well as you or Sybecker. you said not to waste an instant what are you waiting for go on do you swear to stand by us to the last whatever happens i swear it i will trust you and you will have no reason to repent of your trust if i meet monte cristo i will kill him as i would a mongrel cur does that satisfy you how about your mysterious woman bouche de miel could not repress a start but he clenched his fist firmly and replied with an effort never mind her she must take care of herself who is she never mind her i say if harm comes to her it will be her own fault wallman appeared reassured nevertheless he whispered in bouche de miel's ear with a terrible earnestness that plainly showed he meant what he said i told you i would trust you and i will but if you weaken if you seek to act the traitor to save that woman i will blow your brains out where you stand bouche de miel shrugged his shoulders if i weaken if i seek to betray you shoot me on the spot i give you leave but if you use your pistol it will be on other game than me let us to work leaving the two italians on guard at the gate waldman and Sybecker with bouche de miel between them went stealthily towards the house walking on the grass that the sound of their footsteps might be muffled they kept well in the shadows of the trees reaching the rear of the mansion unobserved and without incident waldman removed his shoes and the others followed his example everything is silent he whispered no doubt all the members of the household including the redoubtable count himself are fast asleep we shall have an easy thing of it he went upon the back porch and tried the door of the servants quarters it had been carelessly left unlocked he opened it and peered within only darkness and silence there he beckoned to his comrades they also came on the porch wallman produced a dark lantern from under his coat the three robbers entered monte cristo's house the count's study where he keeps his money is on the second floor whispered bouche de miel we can reach it by going up the servant's stairway over there he pointed across the small corridor in which they stood waldman cautiously opened his lantern and the narrow thread of light that came from it revealed the stairway the miscreants mounted it and guided by bouche de miel who seemed to be thoroughly familiar with the topography of the mansion were soon in front of monte cristo's study the door was ajar bouche de miel glanced in but instantly withdrew his head motioning waldman and Sybecker to look they did so and saw a man asleep in an armchair simultaneously a sharp click in the room alarmed them they clenched their teeth set their lips firmly together and drew their pistols the sharp click was repeated followed in rapid succession by several others it was the telegraphic instrument the news from berlin had come instantly the count was wide awake he leaped from his chair and ran to the instrument to the clicking of which he eagerly and intently listened 
the vast society of prussian patriots had met the delegates had been long in arriving for although the utmost secrecy had been used the royal police had got wind of their presence in the capital and of the proposed assemblage still it was hoped that the meeting would not be disturbed as the rendezvous was in a secluded locality of which it was thought the authorities were not suspicious scarcely however had the president taken his seat when the police poured in through every door and window all the patriots were arrested save monte cristo's confederate who by a lucky chance succeeded in deceiving the myrmidons of the law the count's brow clouded as he heard this startling intelligence ticked off by the telegraphic instrument he put his hand to his forehead at the conclusion of the ominous message and staggered like a drunken man back to his armchair into which he sank as he did so wallman Seibacher, and bouche de miel who immediately rushed forward seized him and held him there with the strength of iron wallman slipped a gag into his mouth and Seibacher bound him firmly to the chair with a stout cord he took from his pocket the binding accomplished the robbers quitted their hold of the count and turned in search of the plunder they had come for the millions of monte cristo suddenly there was a loud cry it came from bouche de miel the others turned and looked at him their pistols in their hands he was staring at a white-robed woman who stood like a ghost in the open doorway of the study at that juncture another door opened and ali the faithful nubian followed by all the valet of the household sprang into the room falling upon the bewildered scoundrels ere they had recovered from their surprise there was a brief struggle but the servants were unarmed and the robbers disengaging themselves from the clutches of their adversaries kept them at bay with their pistols and slowly backed from the apartment in the conflict however bouche de miel's mask was torn from his face and his countenance was no sooner visible than the white-robed woman ran towards him with outstretched arms breathlessly exclaiming my father my father bouche de miel motioned her from him then he moved as if to approach her urged on by a feeling he was altogether unable to master but wallman still keeping his pistol pointed at ali and his companions seized him by the arm with a grip of iron and drew him away the foiled robbers succeeded in making their escape from the house and the garden the count of monte cristo had been unbound and ungagged by ali when the robbers had left the study alarmed by the unwonted noise and commotion captain de morcerf zuleika and mademoiselle d'armilly had appeared upon the scene but too late to witness the conflict with the miscreants in a few words the count explained to them what had happened zuleika glanced at mademoiselle d'armilly as if she suspected that the strange beggar of that morning had something to do with this midnight invasion of their home louise looked uneasy and agitated but preserved a stony silence the white-robed woman still stood as if stupefied mademoiselle d'armilly went to her and asked solicitously eugenie what is the matter this question aroused young madame de morcerf for it was she from her stupor she threw herself into a chair and covered her face with her hands moaning piteously oh louise louise i have seen my father he was one of the robbers it is terrible terrible captain de morcerf who had gone to his wife's side and tenderly taken her hand gazed inquiringly at the count i saw the man she speaks of perfectly said monte cristo in reply to his look and he was certainly the baron danglars 
End of chapter 12.